Discretion is advised. This is the cul-de-sac insomniac, and I'm Ophelia. And I'm Tori. And we're going to keep you up all night. How are you? <laughs> Let's stop, stop, stop. We'll do it again because you burped. <laughs> Good. I'm so that sorry. was terrible. <laughs> I didn't know we were starting. <laughs> and then she's like, I'm <laughs> 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 literally reading the article about the Zodiac Killer, like, hey, wait. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Don't cut this court. This is Maybe, uh, this you know is what? all perfect. If we ever, if, wouldn't want to if we ever it. have a Patreon, we're just gonna have bloopers in it. <laughs> okay. All right, we're gonna get this show on the road. That's probably for the best. All right, Tori, you just start when you're ready. Are you sure? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Ophelia. Hi, Tori. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm good, too. What's going on? We're not recording in the absolute dead of night for a change. Almost. Well, but, yeah. But not quite. We're a little bit We got earlier. a couple hours. Yeah. Yeah. We started off pretty well, and then we just, like, talked for an hour and, you know, yeah. didn't, didn't do any actual work. So, well, here we are. That's pretty much the way it goes every week. You got any uh, spooky stuff? I don't, uh, I have a couple minor spooky things, but they tie into my topic tonight, so I'm going to hold them for that segment. Well, I'm sure now everybody has heard about this because we record uh, like about a week before we actually put an episode out, but pretty recently they solved one of the Zodiac ciphers after 51 years, which is mind-boggling to me wow. personally. I really can't believe it. I'm actually kind of surprised that 51 years later, they're still working on it. Like at a certain point, yeah, I feel like if you think there's a good chance that person's gone, I, I don't know. I guess they keep working on it, but it, that always surprises me when they're still working on these yeah. really old cold cases that they're, you almost, you probably can't bring justice at a certain point. Right. Well, I mean, I'm pretty sure the people that solved it were just civilian, amateur, like, cipher solvers. It wasn't the FBI or anything. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably, it probably came in one of those kits. You know, you can sign up to get, like, those, those mystery kits to your house and solve them. <laughs> I bet that's exactly what it was. And some 12-year-old was like, hey... Well, guess what? <laughs> I figured no, it I out. Think, I think the people that worked on it, they worked on it for like years and years and years, which is just, they worked on like thousands and thousands of combinations or something, which is just like, yeah, I don't have that kind of resolve. And I'd be like, oh, if I couldn't get it by figuring out what the E's are, I'm probably not going to get it. And I would move on. 
I mean, I used to do those crypto quips in the puzzle books all the time, and I'm pretty mm. sure I probably could have broken it if I wasn't busy doing a podcast, but <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> I kind of got my hands full right now. Right, right. But yeah, the crazy thing about it is that like the reason they couldn't solve it is because he spelled paradise with a C instead of an S, which is just like, oh, that makes me so frustrated that he probably was just like a little too dumb to spell correctly. You know what I mean? But it's a, it's a, again, I feel like this happens every week. I'm not actually giving advice on murder because I feel like I end up doing that every week. <laughs> um, like put... Like tips and tricks how to murder and get away with it. <laughs> but that would be a really good way to foil a cipher. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know. I'll probably get murdered after this, but I don't think that he was that smart, really. I think he was more lucky than smart. And I think, in a way, like, he wanted people to figure it out. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, why else would you leave a code that or clues because you're... But it's like a, also like a cat and mouse game, like haha, you can't figure it out, sort of sort of thing. But so so, do you know what it? Um, because I don't know anything about this. Because I don't, I I don't do true crime except we do this podcast. So mm, okay, well I'm definitely gonna cover Zodiac more in depth. But I can read you what this cipher says if you want. Okay, is it gonna freak me out or no? Uh, it's not great, but it's not gruesome. I would say probably go for it because. You know, okay, so imagine that like a, a creepy murderer dude is reading this and not me. So it says, I hope you are having lots of fun in trying to catch me. That wasn't me on the TV show, which brings up a point about me. I'm not afraid of the gas chamber because it will send me to paradise all the sooner because I now have enough slaves to work for me where everyone else has nothing when they reach paradise. So they are afraid of death. I'm not afraid because I know that my new life will be an easy one in paradise. Death. That's it. But he's not going to paradise. No, see, what he believed was that uh, if you kill someone when you die and apparently go to paradise, that then that person will be your slave, which is why he killed a bunch of people. Because that is how heaven works, obviously. Well, he's wrong. So I don't know anything about the Kodiak. I know people... Is it what Zodiac? Zodiac? Zodiac is yeah. What I say, Kodiak? <laughs> Isn't that like a bear? That's the type yeah, of bear. I, I, yeah, <laughs> I think you were a little off. <laughs> also, probably killers, but I don't think they left notes. Pro- not usually. So the Zodiac, as I just proved, I know nothing about it. Is was this person ever caught? No. No. So that's the whole. Yeah. Um. Well, I guess, you, why would you be trying to figure out what he wrote if he was caught? Right, but I just you thought, could just ask him. I thought maybe it was someone who was caught or someone who got killed in the attempt and they didn't know where all the people were and they had all these mm. notes and they didn't know how many victims he had or he wasn't talking. Yeah. I well, don't. He, he claimed to have way more victims than they ever um, actually identified as being his victims. And he, like, threatened... One of the things he threatened was to literally follow school buses around and then pick off little kids as, as they got off the bus. And, like, shoot out the tire of a bus or something and then shoot the kids as they got off the bus. So I think people in the area were, like, super freaked out at the time. And then he just kind of disappeared. They never... They still don't know who he was. I wonder if he died. It's someone who died I and mean, was buried and nobody... Yeah. Like, there's other ways to... Dis- he could have... He could have gone to prison. Or, like, just in a car accident. Someone could have just died in a car accident, and we have no idea that this person was the person. Right. 
doing all that or stuff. Or he could have just retired. Like, the uh, the Golden State Killer just was like, mm, I'm done murdering now. And then he retired from his job, and then immediately after, they caught him. So, still holding out hope for Zodiac, but it, you know, it's been a while. So, so did he mostly kill children? No, Zodiac, no. He mostly killed, or significantly, I haven't done a lot of research on it recently, um, like... Uh, like young couples at lovers' lanes, kind of. Oh. That was a good number of his victims, and like a taxi driver, I believe. Very weird. And he had a, like a creepy. He wore like a creepy hood over his face. It was terrible, like very bad. Yeah, but we'll talk about that in depth another time. Once I have, like, I for Zodiac, I feel like I need to do like a lot of really good research. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So, um. Whatever happened with that guy who was running around hitting people in the head? Any any word on that? I haven't heard anything about it, and I don't I don't know if that's because he stopped or what. Like I don't I really don't know. But I think my brain mentally just said I don't want to have that information anymore and just moved on. Well, let's get back to less freaky stuff. Spooky stuff. Yeah. So it's my turn to go first, huh? Yes, I think so. Okay, so let me see. What have I ruined for you so far? I've ruined childhood. Mm-hmm. I've ruined hiking in the Freetown State Forest. Absolutely. I've ruined zoos. Oh, yes. Um, so today I'm going to ruin camping for you. Although, I feel like that's kind of already been ruined by the fact that it's camping. Yeah, the whole it being outdoors and there being bugs there yeah. pretty much ruined it for me, but I'm excited about what you're going to ruin I, for, I mean, for me about it now. The way I see it is I have a job, I don't have to right. live outside. Exactly. And I don't understand working hard at your job all week so you can pay someone to go live outside. I mean, if I was willing to live outside, I would just not go through the hassle of having a job. That's yeah, that's that's pretty real. The whole point of the job is the the roof over your head, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Right. I mean, that's why I work, so I don't have to sleep outside with bugs. But apparently, people like it. Mm. No, I've heard that. I've heard that from other people. Not not me personally, but I I have heard that. So, um we did an episode recently on the Bridgewater Triangle and it occurred to me people go in there and camp, apparently. And so then I decided to look up um, haunted campgrounds. Apparently, there's quite a few. I'm going to just go through my sources uh, ahead of time because these were sort of listicles that had listed a lot of them. And I got information from on the, the campgrounds I'm going to do in different spots. I went to Outdoorsy.com, ParanormalHousewife.com, OutsideOnline.com, BackpackerVerse.com, Sandy... SanDiegoHaunted.com, CampsitePhotos.com, and MatadorNetwork.com. And I'll put all of those links in the show notes, and you can look them up on our website if you want to do more research. I just cherry-picked some of the best stories. But there's a lot, and there's, there's again, like everything else, we're always surprised, but there's a lot of haunted campgrounds around, which makes sense. I mean, they're on land, and there are people, and things happen. So the first site on this list is Lake Morena, California. This is, it's a lakeside campground 
and it's right near the start of the Pacific Crest Trail and not too far from the Mexican border. And it's experienced unexplained activity for at least 40 years. Um, on October 26, 1983, there was an article in the San Diego Union and it was an article about park volunteers and rangers attesting to witnessing levitating bodies, hearing heavy footsteps when nobody was around, and seeing an old man right out of their peripheral vision. No! Which is, that's, yeah, that's just... Oh. I, I just, I don't know why you're going to be creepy. Ugh. Like, I don't, I don't like the levitating bodies and the footsteps with the old man, like, just out of the corner of your eye. No, 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 no. Yeah. I don't want that. Yeah, I mean, I just, it, I don't know if it's just fun when you're a ghost. You're like, hey, let me guess. And because they're just, they're, they're really weird about it. And I, I don't get it. One occasion, the newspaper reported that a ranger had invited a relative to come to his house. And so she was sleeping over and she woke in the night to see a baby's christening gown across the room. It floated across the room, <gasps> brushed her cheek, and <gasps> floated back to where she had first seen it and disappeared, which Ew. my question is, why are you sitting there waiting for it to come to you? But maybe she's just frozen in fear. I don't know. Yeah, no, you're just sitting there like, I am hallucinating. I'm definitely, oh my God, it just touched me in the face. Like, I don't. So in the years since, guests have reported similar experiences of floating figures, unexplained sounds, and even a woman in white standing at the shoreline in her ghost clothes because I... Of course. And that lady in white, the woman in white, that is a whole... Um, it's like a whole genre unto itself. We'll do that at some point. And that is a, that's a very common archetype in, in paranormal phenomena. So the most famous incident haunted, haunting the campground is a woman in white. Um, she's a young woman and she's seen around the lake and she's sort of gliding. She just glides around solemnly, but she doesn't harm anyone. Okay. But the really, really freaky one is there is a little girl Name, whose name was Millie, and she was tortured and eventually killed by her mother. No! And apparently her mouth was slashed from ear to ear because she screamed in pain once. According, This is according to a medium. No! So when they see her, she has pale skin, light blonde hair, a bloody apron, and like her mouth is stitched on the oh. side. No! And supposedly if you see her and look in her eyes, it kills you. I don't know if that's true because... How would I, you know? How would we know? Someone must have lived to tell the tale. Right. But you know how these these legends get blown up into, into you know, something more. So in this, also in the San Diego Union article, um, a park volunteer named Walter Stucker was sleeping and he suddenly woke up, looked out the open window by his bed. He was in a motorhome and he was looking right at a tall man standing right outside his window. No. Which is just creepy whether you're dead or alive. This is creepy anyway. He was wearing a dark coat and a knitted um, cap. Stucker said, they looked at one another for a moment. Then the man turned and walked toward the lake. And as he walked away, Stucker sat up in bed looked through the window and there was light from the moon and he realized the guy was walking like seven, six or seven inches above the, above the ground, right towards the lake. Oh my gosh. I was going to say, maybe it's just some creep, but ugh. Yeah. I mean, creep, creepy either way, creepy either way. Absolutely. <laughs> but so 
then I looked at the bottom of this article was from I think this was from outdoorsy.com I think so there were some comments from a couple of people Ooh. and the first one so I'm not gonna put any names because you know I'm just seeing things online and using them the first comment says on August 17th and 18th I don't know what year my family and I camped on a site that overlooked the ocean. It sat up about 20 to 30 feet from the beach itself. The sighting happened on the dark colored sand that has a wet sheen or about 50 feet from where I was. I saw a faint light that I first thought might be a reflection of a star, but then the light grew a little brighter and moved slowly southward along the beach. I later figured the speed to be about the same as a person walking as it moved. The light morphed a little and, and took the shape of a person for the last two or three seconds. I watched it for about 20 to 30 seconds, long enough to call my wife over, and she came over and saw the light morph into a human shape in the last few seconds, which is <laughs> pack up, honey, we gotta go. Like immediately. That's so weird. It is weird. And then there's another comment that someone left that says, I grew up in Campo and spent many a night in and around Lake Morena, which apparently I think it's a man-made lake. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, there are wild things that go on there. I have personally had two UFO experiences near the lake, one of which involved a glowing orb that sat motionless only 30 feet from me. <gasps> the other was a massive illuminative craft that slowly floated across the horizon. My friend and I also drove past a very strange creature late one night. It looked half human, half monkey, and stood on two legs. Nearly everyone who has lived, it's kind of like a Bridgewater Triangle thing where there's just all this different weird stuff going yeah. on. Yeah. I don't know if some places just attract stuff or cause hallucinations. I don't know. But again, I don't know, like, three or four people at a time having the same hallucination. Yeah, that feels not so likely. Yeah. Nearly everyone who's lived for any extended amount of time in Lake Morena Village has a story to tell. I could write a book from all the stories my friends have told me, not even counting crazy things I've seen myself. Ooh. So, so we'll go camping out in Lake Morena. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm busy that weekend. That all this, all of the weekends? All the weekends that we could ever possibly do that? I'm busy not being outdoors, so. Yeah. Staying inside of my home where there aren't orbs turning into people and creepy men staring into my window six inches off the ground. Um, Braley Pond, Virginia. This popular fishing spot in George Washington National Forest, 60 mile miles from Charlottesville, is the site of Virginia's most haunted campground, Braley Pond. Um, rumors of disembodied laughter. No, no thanks. Floating figures and other unearthly activity escalated after a gruesome gang murder took place there in 2003. Oh no, that's sad. Um, not long after the murder, paranormal research Shay Willis visited the pond and immediately began experience nausea and dread upon arriving. I just feel that way if I go out in the wilderness anyway, so I don't, I don't know. I mean, my idea of camping is opening my doors and letting the dogs out, but that's me. Yeah, pretty um, much. Yeah. <laughs> I'll sit on the porch when it's exactly 74 degrees and no other situation. And not a degree in either direction. No, 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 no. Absolutely not. <laughs> Just before midnight, Willis and her colleagues heard something moving in the water, splashing violently. As they ran back to the car, Willis claims... 
Willis claims something landed on her back and began crawling all over her body. No, 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 no. <laughs> oh, that's disgusting. Well, Laundry, I guess you're getting taken out of the basement tomorrow. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Yes. <laughs> they escaped the campground and made it home. But Willis continued to feel haunted, experiencing nightmares and not feeling like herself for weeks afterwards. It was like a communication with with whatever this thing was, like little bits and pieces of it were still stuck to me. Oh, no, I hate that so much. That's yeah. Horrible. Yeah, I hate that a lot. I don't I don't like if I'm like swimming in a lake or whatever and a piece of like seaweed or whatever the hell touches my foot. No, no. So never mind something bleh, jumping onto my back, crawling all oh, over me. No, that makes me want to. I would I probably die of a heart attack immediately. A lake once and a fish swam by and brushed <gasps> my leg. No, no. That's my actual, like, if there's one thing I'm afraid of most, it's really actually being in the water with fish. Like, I hyperventilate, cannot handle it. It really freaks me out. I mean, I don't know if it's the thing I'm afraid of the most because there's a veritable cornucopia of things that I'm terrified of. But it's definitely up there. It's on the list. Yeah, yeah. In terms of things that are, like, pretty likely to happen, that's on that list, you know? I mean, I'm afraid of a lot of things that are pretty unlikely. And so I, mm, you know, yeah. like the, the camping thing, me camping. Well, I, I've gone a couple of times and I have a couple you know, little stories, but right. um, I don't really think they're paranormal, but they were still, ugh, no thanks. Yeah. Mm. Crystal Lake, California. In 1934, Stephen Majors helped build Crystal Lake Amphitheater and Dance Studio in the Angeles National Forest. His wife, Heather, and children, Susan 12 and Marcus 10, moved with him. The family was assigned to a tent away from the other men on the job. On the evening of September 19th, they put their kids to bed and went off for a walk. When they came back, they found the tent torn and a grizzly bear attacking their children. No! Yeah. The parents tried to save their kids, but the bear ended up killing the entire family. Oh. Ever since, people have reported... So they were buried um, right by the dance studio. That's where they, they were buried, right there. And people have reported seeing apparitions of two adults and two children around the dance studio ruins um, since that time. The odd thing about the attack is that grizzly bears had been hunted to extinction in California by 1922. And although hunters went out searching for the grizzly that killed the family because they were going to put it down because it's obviously, you know, a threat. No, they didn't find any signs of a bear, which would be pretty weird. It would be pretty strange. Like, you don't even see evidence of it, but yet you saw it. It killed this family. I mean, I think some people took off after it, from what I'm understanding, and then they just didn't see signs of it, and no sign of it was found, and the bear was never seen again. So that in itself is weird and sad, but also weird. Like, is, is that a ghost bear? Like, what is that? It just said Right. A demon bear? Interdimensional thing? A time... Who knows? Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Holy Ghost Campground, New Mexico. Oh, I wonder if that one's haunted. (laughs) (laughs) So again, sometimes I feel like you kind of lay the groundwork. Mm, Yeah. They put holy at the beginning being like, this will keep the ghosts away. And then they said ghosts, which, you know, mixed signals for the ghosts. 
Right. And I mean, we're Catholic. We know who the Holy Ghost is. We understand yes. that, that that's, but I'm just saying, maybe don't. Right. It's probably for the best. <laughs> yeah. In New Mexico's northern Sangre de Cristo Mountains, Holy Ghost Campground within Santa Fe National Forest is an isolated but scenic place to spend the night. But before you go, know that it's rumored to be the haunted grounds of a Spanish priest who was murdered there in the 17th century. Oh. Yeah. According to local ghost tour guide Alan Pacheco, the surrounding Pecos wilderness is home to all kinds of bizarre activity. Um, but in addition to the ghostly apparitions, a number of people who have gone in there and just vanished. And they were it's like the Bermuda Triangle of New Mexico. People just disappear into thin air and their clothing, their bones, their belongings are just never found. And no signs of them are found. Like they can't even track the footprints. They just disappear. They get to like a certain point and they just poof. That's so weird. Yeah. That's crazy. It's, it's like that story we talked about, about uh, that the guy who went into the bar and just gone. Yeah. Just how does that happen? How do you just poof off the face of the planet? With absolutely no sign of where you went. I don't know. According to Pacheco, people have also spotted UFOs, seen strange shadows, and heard voices. There's all kinds of speculation. Maybe there is a cosmic doorway that opens up there. Maybe a Star Trek-type dimensional wormhole. Different beings, different energies, you name it. I wonder if there are just, like, dimensional portals just laying around. Yeah, that you can just accidentally slip and fall into. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't, no thanks. No, I don't want that. I'd rather, I don't like that at all. Mm -mm. No, I'll pass on that. I mean, I guess there are better dimensions, you know, where like everybody can fly or something like that. That would be so bad. Maybe, but what if they're just much worse? Yeah. And even if you're in a better dimension, but you left everybody, you can't tell anybody. Yeah, it would be a bummer. Beaver Key Creek. Beaver Creek Campground, Montana. Ah. Be- the Beaver Creek. Key- oh, my goodness. I can't <laughs> say that. Beaver Creek Campground. Oh, tongue twister. The Beaver Creek Campground sits on a bluff overlooking Quake Lake. I'm doing this to myself <laughs> at this point. That's <laughs> impossible. In West, Yellow- in West Yellowstone, Montana, the lake was formed by a huge landslide that temporarily plugged the Madison River. The landslide was triggered by a 7.5 earthquake that occurred on August 17, 1959. Millions of tons of boulders and gravel slid down from the side of a mountain and into a campground, killing 28 campers in the middle of the night. Oh. What remains of the campground, including the trailers and vehicles, is now under the waters of Quake Lake. So they just made it... They just made it a new campground. Like, hey, and they called it Quake Lake because that's uh-huh. how it was made. And these people are buried under there and they're like, hey, we have a cool new feature. Ew, that's that's fucked up. Now it's a lakeside kit. That's messed up. Ew. Do you want to swim here? There's a bunch of dead bodies and stuff underneath there. That's got to be some clean water. That's right. That's so people go camping there at the new lakeside campground now, which is apparently waterfront property now. And they at night see all these glowing orbs like over the water. Huh. I wonder why. That's messed up. That's uh, yeah, that's uncool. That's like, hmm, let's go camping. Let's hope we don't turn into a lake. Like, yeah. Ugh. I hate that. 
here's another another one that I feel like you could figure is going to be haunted. The Antietam Creek Campground in Maryland. Okay, that's, yeah, yeah, that seems obvious. The Battle of Antietam was the Civil War's bloodiest. So we made a campground there. Of course. <laughs> what could go wrong? <laughs> They're like, well, they were kind of camping there then. It was a little different. It's like we want to be haunted. In a single day, more than 23,000 soldiers were wounded or killed at Antietam Creek near Sharpsburg, Maryland. Battlefield sites like Bloody Lane, where some of the <laughs> where some of the most brutal casualties occurred, as haunting. Oh, you don't say. <laughs> some even say they're haunted. At the nearby Antietam Creek campsite, historical horror buffs can one-up war reenactors by spending a night with Antietam's actual soldiers. Like the the ghosts of these soldiers. Apparently, like you go camping there. And sometimes the ghosts of the so- the soldiers just show up when you're whatever, you have a fire or you're doing your thing. So campers have reportedly seen undead soldiers, heard phantom gunfire, and experienced other military activity at the campsite, which sits right beside the Potomac River in Chesapeake and Ohio Canal National Historical Park. Oh my goodness. that That is something I would never in a bajillion years ever do. No. Oh my God. Do you want to have the most terrifying night of your life? Come on down. Like, no. Do you want to get haunted in your tent? Because that's how you get haunted in your tent. Absolutely. You pitch your tent on a battleground. I mean, I'm supposing there's a lot of battlegrounds around, but like when you know for a fact one of the bloodiest ever. When your campsite is on bloody lane, like, no, you turn around and you go home. That's ridiculous. And I hate it. (laughs) This one is Big Moose Lake in New York. The scariest ghost stories generally begin begin with real life horrors because people are horrible. Uh Uh-huh. Such is the case with Big Moose Lake in the Adirondacks. There, in 1906, 23-year-old Chester Gillette murdered 20-year-old Grace Brown, a secret girlfriend whom he'd gotten pregnant, refused to marry, and then lured to the lake under the guise of a romantic getaway. Um... So then I guess apparently I think he drowned her in the lake. Oh, that's sad. It is sad. The ensuing trial was a Chicago-style scandal that rocked upstate New York. Gillette was found guilty and sentenced to the electric chair, but Brown supposedly hung around to haunt the lakefront. So um, people can pitch a tent at a primitive campsite by Big Moose Lake, and apparently if you sing a chorus of the ballad of Big Moose Lake around the campfire every once in a while um she shows up and joins in the sing-along no (laughs) no again you're looking to be haunted you're trying to get haunted that's uh i hate that can you imagine you're just like trying to sing a fun song with your kids and you're like Hey, where's that deep manly voice coming from? Oh no. Like that's a woman. It's it's the girl. Okay, well still. Still I mean It's still weird. Maybe it sounds nicer, but it's not any better. It's not any less creepy. It's definitely not any better. So I'm so those are my haunted campground stories. I'm just going to tell you um a couple little things. I I did go camping once with Nanny and Papa. In fact, we were going to a reenactment that Papa mm-hmm. was in mm-hmm. and Uncle Kenny was in and he was coming down the next day, driving down. 
And then we were going to have a cabin. But the first night I went down and I stayed in how, you know, they used to have um, the motor home. Yep. Yep. We were there and I was sleeping and I got up and we didn't, because they were only there for a couple of days, um, they didn't bother hooking up. Mm, right. In the campsite. So we had, the, they had the freshwater tank and a gray water tank, but we couldn't use the bathroom. You had to go to the bathroom and take a shower and stuff every, like, at the... And you had to walk along this trail, and it was dark, and it was through the woods, and... I think that's the worst part of camping, is having to walk through the woods in the middle of the night to find a bathroom that's, like, 100% filled with spiders. I feel like the worst part of camping is camping. Right, right. That's, that's valid, too. Right, but if I'm in... First of all, if I'm shelling up money for an RV, you best believe I'm using that bathroom. I'm not. Oh, absolutely. And the TV. Right. The whole point of having an RV is I don't have to go outside, but I can still say I'm camping. Yes, exactly. So I was trying to get up the courage and my folks were sleeping and I'm like, I'm in my 20s. I can't wake my mom to go with me <laughs> to the bathroom <laughs> because I'm an adult or whatever age, I, I don't remember, but I was too old to wake my mom and have her come with me. <laughs> and so I was just sealing, getting my courage up. I said, I'm just going to have a flashlight. I'm going to go real fast. I'm going to come real bad. And I'm just getting to the door. And just as I did, I heard what sounded like a guy, just an ungodly scream, which sounded <gasps> about two feet from the motorhome, like, ah! What the fuck? And I was just, okay, well, that's I your guess sign. I'm holding it. <laughs> Oh my and god. I just had to go to sleep, but I had to go so bad. And as soon as it was the slightest bit light, like, you know, Nanny used to get up and she goes, You want to go to the bathroom? I'm like, Yes, let's go. Uh, let's go. Because I wasn't. Oh my god, that's I, so scary. Apparently, I've heard later that there's uh, lots of kinds of animals who can make those types of sounds that sound yeah. like a person screaming. Yeah. So I think it was probably that, but it was still freaky enough. Yeah. This story that my uncle Eddie told me, and he didn't even tell um, his wife. He he didn't tell our aunt at the time, and you know he's he's been gone for some years. But he told me years ago um, because one of um, Nanny's sisters had a camp way up in the north somewhere, I don't know, New Hampshire, Maine, somewhere up there, mm-hmm. and they would invite people to stay. So they went. And they were sleeping in the guest room, and he had woken up. He was having a hard time sleeping. And he saw a man walk through the wall into the bedroom, walk over to the nightstand <gasps> as if he was, like, picking up, some, looking for, like, a piece of paper, pick something up. But he could see through him. <laughs> but it was clearly the figure of a man. And walk back out and then just walk out the way he had come. Uh. But, it, like, it was very mundane. Except for the fact that it was an apparition. How do you just, like, recover from that and be like, okay, now I have to go to sleep? Well, and he told me so matter-of-factly, and he said, I didn't want to make any noise because I didn't want to wake up your aunt and scare her. And Uh, I'm just thinking, how is that even voluntary at that point? No, seriously. I guess maybe it would just be frozen. You know what I mean? Like, Like, he didn't even say, like, he was frozen in fear, and maybe that's uh, just what he said after the fact. Right, yeah. Because I don't know. I'm like peeing or screaming or both or running I don't know but although when when I saw the lady in my room as a kid I didn't do any of those because I was like oh my gosh I must be dreaming it wasn't freaky till yeah you know yeah 
I one time, a couple of years ago when I was in grad school, I lived in like a two family house and I, me and my roommate lived on the first floor and there's a family that lived on the second floor. And I woke up in the middle of the night one time and I thought that like the dad upstairs was like literally leaning and looking in my window. Mm. And I was so freaked out, but I just laid there just pretending like nothing was happening. And after a long time, I realized it was an outdoor umbrella leaning up against my window <laughs> and not a person. <laughs> so <laughs> I also was just frozen and didn't do anything. And ultimately, it was an umbrella. So not that threatening, but I did think it was a person. I remember... Uh, and I remember for years, my mom would be like, get your clothes ready the night before, get your clothes ready the night before. So one night, this is just at my old house. This is not even that long ago, but, you know, it was a few years ago. So I got all my clothes together and put them on the hanger and I hung them on the uh, the closet door mm. so mm. they'd be right there so I could grab them. This happened one time, one time only. <laughs> so I went to sleep. I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm like, because ah! I could just see the shape of a person yes! across the room before I realized that it was my clothes that I had hung there. Never again. I would, I put them all together, but they just stay in the closet and I go grab. Don't make them person shaped. Yeah. And I have to sleep with closet doors closed anyway. So. Same. Yeah. Because, you know, if someone's in the closet and you close the door, they can't come out and murder you. It's the same thing with the shower curtain. If you leave it open, they can't hide behind it and then murder you. So, yes, exactly. And even if you stay underneath your comforter, they can't murder you either. Yeah, it's pretty foolproof, I think. It is. It is. I mean, so far. Yeah. So far, so good. Knock on wood. So what do you think a haunted campground story? Ooh, I will not be going to any of them. Yeah, see, this is like, it's freaky, but it's not that freaky to me because I'm not going to be... Yes. I will not be experiencing it. What do you think of haunted uh, mountain climbing? I, I think it's fine. If you're dumb enough to go mountain climbing, get haunted. I don't care. It's not my problem. Sounds like a you problem. It's not a me problem. Don't love it. Not going to experience it. <laughs> For just a whole... There's just a whole litany of reasons yes. why that situation doesn't yeah. work for me. What does freak me out about that stuff is I might be driving through a creepy area like that at night yeah. and break down. Yeah, that... no. Ugh. I'm so glad we have cell phones and stuff now, you know. Yeah, but you know you get out to some of these places and you can't get service. No, I don't go there. I refuse. <laughs> I I always say I'm two with nature. She stays on her miserable <laughs> side of the door and I stay on mine. And that's how we like it. She doesn't want me there. I don't want to be there. That should be on our family crest. People say things like that all the time. Oh, I would love to get a big place, a big piece of land and a bunch of acres and live right in the middle of it. And I said, yeah, that's fine in the daytime. But as soon as night falls and you think you see Mothman and, and you can't get to... to down your driveway before Mothman can get you, it's not that quaint. No. No, 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 no. no. Nope. Not for me. Ugh. <laughs> All right, what do you got for me? Oh, okay. This is going to be really surprising today for you. I have a murder. I know. You're shocked. Yay! Well, if you don't have murder, it's hard to have ghost story, so. Yeah, that's that's a good point, actually, yeah. But yeah, this one, this one's sad and a little tiny bit gruesome, so just brace yourselves, Aww. everybody. Yeah. Aww. 
Yeah, I know. So today I'm going to tell you about the murder of Jasmine Fiore. So Jasmine Fiore was born Jasmine Lepore in 1981. Uh, she lived with her mom, Lisa Lapore, in Bonnie Dune, California, where she enjoyed playing football and she worked at the local grocery store. Uh, when she grew up, she was a swimsuit model and she often worked as a body painted model at parties. Uh, she acted in commercials and she appeared at sh in shows at casinos in Las Vegas. According to a friend, uh, she had a long-standing but intermittently serious relationship with a man whose name was Robert Hassman. Uh, and eventually she hoped to settle down with him. Uh, and around 2005, she met another man whose name was Travis Heinrich, who worked at the Hard Rock Hotel in Vegas, which is where they met. Uh, they became serious and they were engaged for about six months in, a, in 2006 or 2007. Uh, but they apparently decided not to get married, but continued to date less seriously. Uh, sometime after this, Jasmine decided to quit modeling. She got her real estate license and was also in the process of opening a gym slash training center in California, which is where she was from. And in March of 2009, Ryan Alexander Jenkins had just fi finished filming as a contestant on VH1's Megan Wants a Millionaire, which is a spinoff of the show Rock of Love, in which 17 millionaire contestants competed for the love of Megan Hauserman, who'd been a contestant on Rock of Love, and she commented that she would ideally like to become a trophy wife. So she, there were all these 17 men who based on their net worth were allowed to be on this show and compete for her love. Okay. <laughs> yes, and Ryan was one of these men. And he was born in Calgary, Canada on February 8th, 1977, where he was a successful real estate developer and his net worth of $2.5 million made him eligible to be on the, a contestant on the show where his nickname was Smooth Operator, which is so gross sounding. The worst. You're eliminated already. Yeah, you would think. But uh, they all got like truly horrible nicknames on that show. It was not good. It was not classy. I will say that. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't sound classy. No. I, VH1 in 2009, not the classiest of places, I will say. So Ryan Jenkins was celebrating the completion of taping the show, Megan Wants a Millionaire, where he'd actually ended up placing third out of 17 in Las Vegas when he met Jasmine Fiore. Just two days later, they were married at the Little White Wedding Chapel on the Las Vegas Strip. That escalated? Yeah, indeed. Uh, Jasmine apparently told her friend who they say self-described best friend, so I don't know what that means exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so she told this guy, David Tonopetian, that she was in love with the perfect man. And Ryan told a friend back in Calgary, I met the most amazing girl. I love her. We have a lot in common. So I think you know where this is going. Not, not, not anywhere good, but. Yeah, yeah. So apparently this was the beginning of a very tumultuous relationship for the two of them. Uh, they both lived together in L.A., uh, where Ryan's father, Dan Jenkins, said that Jasmine was his son's only friend in California, that she would often disappear for days at a time and lie to Ryan about where she had been. But Jasmine's mother, Lisa Lepore, said that Ryan was extremely jealous of Jasmine's friendships with her exes and that he did everything she asked him not to do during their marriage, although she didn't disclose exactly what that meant. 
Uh, she said the two also fought frequently during their marriage and that Jasmine's ex-fiance, Travis Heinrich, also said that Ryan was incredibly jealous and that Jasmine had an extra secret phone line since Ryan would go through her text messages at night. Uh, not long after the wedding in May of 2009, the two apparently had a blowout fight and Jasmine's mom said that Jasmine had the marriage annulled, uh, but there isn't any record in Nevada where they were married or in California where they lived that that ever actually happened. So it's kind of unclear what their status was. And in June, Ryan and Jasmine were at a party together in Clark County, Nevada, and Ryan apparently saw Jasmine either kissing or talking to her ex, Travis. Uh, when he saw this, he became enraged and punched her in the arm so hard that she fell fully clothed into the pool. What? Just not great, yeah, it's pretty bad. Uh, he was arrested and he was charged with battery constituting domestic violence for hitting her, and they set a court date for him for December of 2009. And later on, it was discovered that he'd actually also been convicted of an unspecified assault in Calgary and that he'd served 15 months of proba probation beginning in January of 2007. So kind of right after that, Ryan headed down to Manzanillo, Mexico, where he filmed season three of VH1's I Love Money, which is another spinoff reality show in which contestants from other VH1 reality shows all competed in physical and mental challenges in order to win $250,000. Apparently, Ryan was the winner of the season, although it never aired on TV. I have a feeling I know why. <laughs> yeah, I think we're all starting to see where this is going and perhaps why these TV shows did not see the light of day. So once he's done taping that, he returned to California at the beginning of August, uh, where he apparently tried to patch things up with Jasmine. And on August 13th, 2009, they traveled together to San Diego to attend a charity fundraiser poker tournament for the Karma Foundation at the Del Mar Hilton. At about 3.30 p.m. that afternoon, they checked into the Loberge Hotel and left for the fundraiser about three hours later. After the fundraiser, the couple was seen at the Ivy Hotel, which is a nightclub in downtown San Diego, and security cameras caught them leaving the club at about 2.30 a.m. And a few hours later at 4.30 a.m., Ryan returned alone to the Loberge Hotel. At about 9 a.m. on August 14th, he left the hotel, packed up all of his things, and went home. Uh, the next day, before 9 p.m., he called the police to report that Jasmine was missing. He said that the two had returned from the poker game together the night before, and that at about 8.30 p.m., she dropped him off and gone to do errands, but she hadn't come back. But... Unbeknownst to Ryan, at about 7 a.m. that morning, a man had been searching through trash bins in Buena Park for recyclables, but instead he found the body of a woman who'd been badly beaten and strangled to death placed inside of a suitcase. Aww. Yeah. And her teeth and fingers had been removed, presumably to prevent her being identified by the police. Aww. And the coroner said that she'd likely been dead for several hours before she was found. I mean, it's 2009, uh, Serpico. We, we can do DNA now. I know. Uh, it just... Uh, <laughs> You've been watching some old TV, buddy. I know, right? Uh, but just so awful. So then on August 16th, the day after he reported Jasmine missing at about 9 a.m., Ryan packed some things from their L.A. penthouse and he didn't come back. Apparently, he traveled first to Nevada to pick up his speedboat. Uh, and when the police called him the next day, he said he was in Utah and that he was on his way back to Canada to resolve some immigration issues. 
So then a few days later on August 18th, the body of the woman in Buena Park was identified as being Jasmine Fiore. They actually identified her from the serial numbers on her breast implants. So not even through DNA. I didn't know that was the thing. I didn't know that was the thing, that you have a serial number on your breast implants. Yeah, I think like pretty much any medical thing that gets put into your body, like a pacemaker or anything like that, they all have serial numbers, or at least that's what watching procedural crime television has taught me. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I have a lot of really good knowledge about that stuff, obviously. Um, But on the patio of Ryan and Jasmine's hotel room, which is where Jasmine probably spent her last night alive, detectives found Jasmine's blood and hair. And they believe she was either killed in her car and her body was bought her body was brought back into the hotel room through the first floor patio or that she was killed in the room and later brought out through the patio. I imagine that 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 hotels at that point this is just 2009 so this security footage people can see that he left without her. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's exactly they saw the security showed him leaving with it. like it's very obvious, you know? I I left with her really because you're not with her now. No, yes I am. Yeah, it's very strange. But apparently two weeks later, they did find her car. Uh, They discovered her Mercedes-Benz covered in blood and swirl marks in the blood proved that she fought vehemently against her her attacker. And they also found mud stains on the tires and brush in the car's undercarriage, which led police to believe that the killer took the car off-road to dispose of Jasmine's clothing and her remaining body parts, a.k.a. her fingertips and her teeth. So going backwards a little bit, on the day that Jasmine's body was discovered, Ryan called his father, Dan Jenkins, who told him that Jasmine had been discovered murdered. At the time, Ryan told his father that he was in Birch Bay, Washington. uh, And so the sheriff's department in the area received reports that Ryan's black BMW SUV had been seen towing a boat towards the Canadian border. So eventually the police did catch up to the SUV, uh, but it was at a marina in Blaine, Washington but the speedboat and Ryan Jenkins were gone, but they said the engine of the BMW was still warm when they got there, so they had like just barely missed him. At this point, Ryan was only a person of interest. He still wasn't a suspect in his wife's death. He hadn't been charged with anything, Uh, but Canadian authorities were watching out for him and the US Coast Guard and US Customs and Border Patrol had boats patrolling the Northwest Washington waters starting on August 19th to try to find Tim. Uh, That day, there was a report of a man matching Ryan's description seen piloting his boat into the border town of Point Roberts, which happened to be the town where Ryan's stepmother lived. So the next day, August 20th, Ryan Jenkins was officially charged with the murder of Jasmine Fiore and an arrest warrant was issued. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police believed he had probably already crossed the border into Canada, either that day or the day before. And that morning, he called his dad, who had actually been detained at the airport, but his dad had to hang up and couldn't talk to him, which I'm surprised they wouldn't try to talk to him if he was detained at the airport, you know? Well, maybe that's why his dad hung up, figuring they will try to track it. You know what I mean? I don't know what I'd do if that was my kid, because people say, you know, you should turn them in, but... Do you just not believe it? Do you just think, no, something else happened and they're blaming my kid because he's the spouse and... Right. I, I don't know if... 
I, I don't know if I would do the right thing and turn my kid in. I don't know if I would. Yeah. Ryan's dad, Dan, said like this, I don't think that this was him, basically. I don't think I'd believe it. It's not that I would know it and just cover for my kid. I think I just wouldn't believe it. Right, exactly. You would think your kid is being pinned for something that they didn't do. So that night at about 6 p.m., Ryan arrived at the Thunderbird Motel in Hope, British Columbia. He was driving a silver PT Cruiser that had Alberta plates, and there was a young blonde woman with him. Apparently, he stayed in the car while she went to reception, and she paid for a room for three nights with cash. Uh, Another guest at the hotel said that she stayed for about 20 minutes, and then she left, and she was never seen again, and they still don't know who she was. Well, I want to know that now. I I know. I want to know who that was. Who is this, like, mystery woman that just, like, showed up, got him a hotel, and peaced, you know? And how did he get someone to do that if it wasn't someone he already knew? But if it was someone he already knew, they could probably figure that out. Right. Wouldn't you think? It's so weird. Like, who is she? You know, I have no idea. Doing this podcast makes me wonder how many crimes, when we just hear stuff like this. Yeah. How many crimes are just either people don't even know they happened or they're not resolved. I heard in the U.S. the number is ridiculous, something like 90% of crimes. And I don't know if that's true or if it includes all kinds of minor things that we don't really. Right. Like maybe minor property crimes or you got pickpocketed or shopped. Maybe... Maybe that all adds in to the to the number, but I hear it's pretty astronomical. Ugh, that's disturbing. Like how many things just, yeah, yep. But yeah, I do wonder, like, who is this woman? Like, did she know what the situation was that was going on, you know? I mean, she must have known something was up, that she would take him there, she would check in, she would pay in cash, and then she would leave. Yeah. To me, if someone said that to me, I'd be like, uh, maybe I'm gonna not. Need- a lot more details. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if someone goes, hey, do you want to take this suitcase full of cash to across the Canadian border for me? Um, no, I'm going to, uh, we're going to have to have a really long conversation before I do anything <laughs> like that. I mean, it's just so, it's so clearly someone trying to stay under the radar. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But he was on those shows. Maybe he told to, yeah, I just, you know, when people hear me and they show up. The, the the paparazzi show up and it's a whole thing. So yeah. maybe maybe you could convince someone there was some reason. I guess, but I I think at this point, like a f- I think three episodes of Megan Wants a Millionaire had aired. So it's not like he's some big celebrity. You know what I mean? Realistically, there aren't that many people. And I think he was on the TV a lot more because he was a murder suspect that had fled. You know. Yeah, I don't know. Or he convinced some guy. Was I guess was was this a good looking guy? I haven't seen him, but um, yeah, he looks like a kind of generic white guy. So. Uh, Then the next day, after he checked in, a guest saw Ryan walking outside of the motel. uh, And actually, both he and the manager said that he was unrecognizable from the man that they'd seen on television. So I think he was probably pretty, like, pale and thin looking compared to the photos that they had of him on television, which were probably, like, from the reality show or something. Who knows? No one saw or heard from him after that, and at 11.30 a.m. on August 23rd, when the couple failed to check out, the motel manager and his nephew decided to check up on the guests in room two. 
And when they swung open the door, they found the body of Ryan Jenkins hanging by a belt from a clothes rack on the wall. Uh, And there is no suicide note at the scene, but later investigators found a document on his computer titled Last Will and Testament dated August 20th, 2009. And in the note, he didn't take blame for Jasmine's death. uh, And though the police didn't release the note, apparently he included the fact that she was unfaithful to him, that this upset him, and that he didn't like the image that was being portrayed in the media and that he put the blame for that on Jasmine. Or you could have not murdered her. So, right. You know, that that helps your image. Right. And even if I don't think this is remotely likely, but even if he didn't kill her to blame the fact that he looked bad on TV because she got murdered by someone else. Not great either. You know, well, it's not like he said. And here's here's how you know he's the killer. Because he didn't put in the note how devastated he was that she was gone. Like, that's how you always kind of know that that person's the one who did it. Because they always talk about how they've been affected by this. They never talk about... Exactly. Someone murdered my wife and I can't... I know we didn't have the great relationship sometimes. I know it was volatile. But she was the love of my life and I can't go on without her. They always put the blame on the victim for whatever they're going through. And that's how you know that's the killer. Yeah, that's exactly true. It's always, oh, look at what her being dead has made me so sad about for me personally. It's done to me. I'm still the victim. And that's like classic narcissist behavior, too. Yes. Yes, exactly. So almost immediately after Jasmine's body was was found, lo and behold, VH1 canceled both of the shows that Ryan Jenkins had been a contestant on, Megan Wants a Millionaire and season three of I Love Money. So, like I said, Megan Wants a Millionaire had already aired three episodes, and apparently VH1 said those were all of the episodes that Ryan appeared in, Um, but when you look on Wikipedia, it literally shows every single contestant that was eliminated every single week, and Ryan actually came in third. And according to Wikipedia, he also won his season of I I Love Money. Um, and VH1 claimed they didn't know about the previous assault charge in Canada, uh, and that if they had, they never would have allowed him on the show, either of the shows. Yeah. Um, and, and Ryan's father, Dan Jenkins, doesn't believe that his son killed Jasmine Fiore, or that if he did, he was crazy and not the man that his family had known. Well, I mean, obviously there was something wrong. Yeah, that's sometimes where they're like, oh, well, the insanity defense. I'm like, well, but you kind of have to be crazy to commit a murder, especially if you're fucking cutting off people's fingertips and pulling out their teeth. I'm fascinated by people who have you know, have got a lot going for them and do themselves in because they can't get control of their, yeah, whatever, their, their, their demons, their, right. I mean, like, for example, you hear of people who are athletes and I'm not necessarily talking about crime, but they have everything going for them and they can't get right. off the bottle yeah. or they can't stop getting into trouble. And they, they are in a position that so many people in the world would love to be in. So many people in the world would love to be in his position. And he could, even if this woman didn't want him, he could go find so many other people. Like it it didn't have to be her. So if you want to cheat on me, I'm hurt. It's going to hurt, but you go ahead. I'm in this show. I, I won this other show. I'm already a millionaire. I had to be to qualify. Um, but he did not only her in, but him, his whole life in and, and, and took 
you know, basically shattered two families because he had whatever this was that he couldn't get a hold of, that he could not control, right. whether it be jealousy, whatever your emotions are, whatever the, the your mental illness, um, mm. because I'm inclined to think this is more mental illness and just criminal behavior because you would go to the point that you take yourself out. That That's, and I'm not excusing it or saying it's okay in any way but this isn't someone who just ran around looking for people to victimize this is clearly a situation and i'm not blaming the victim because i have no idea if she did anything and if she did you don't get to kill right. someone exactly you, someone it, it's not illegal to cheat on someone it's illegal it's not nice right but it it's it's super illegal to strangle them to kill someone, you don't have the right to take a life because someone hurt you. No one really owes you right. anything. Yeah. And so I can, uh, you know, I can't understand letting yourself lose control to the point that you don't just take this person down that you purport to love, but you take yourself down and you ruin your family with it. And it was, it, it's unnecessary because you could, a guy like that, decent looking, got some money, been on TV a little bit. He could have a girl tomorrow. Yeah, definitely. If he just didn't blow up his own life. Yeah, but they just, and you see that. You see it with people all the time. From our, from the outside perspective, they have it made. But from yep. their perspective, uh, they can't keep it together it's fascinating to me that's fascinating but yeah one more thing is that dan jenkins said that his son apparently fainted at the sight of blood which is very interesting and because he committed suicide uh, there was no trial or anything so it was never you know 100 percent proven that he was actually the killer so he might have fainted at the sight of blood but if you just lose your mind right right and I suppose you can do that temporarily. I suppose you can lose it for a period of time and then you realize, oh, oh my, I, I have to do something about this. And then once you realize the jig is up, because this is also classic narcissist behavior to try to skate out of consequences. Right. Yeah. Not that I know anything about, not that I'm a psychologist or anything. This is 1,000%. Do not take uh, psychological advice from me. This is stuff I read yeah. on the internet. Don't, but don't take it from the podcast in general, I will say. I am not, yeah, I'm not giving out medical advice. I'm mm -hmm. not giving out murder tips and tricks, <laughs> you know. <laughs> just, but that that is something that, that, like, we've all known that person who, I'm not saying they go to the extreme of suicide, but... Right. Like, they try to find ways. It's never their fault. They're right. always the victim. It was, you know, you made me do that. Why did you make me do that? Why did I... T and Yeah, and it's just, you know, if he, if they fought and he accidentally killed her, that's terrible. But the consequences yeah. are not going to be as bad as if you then cut off her fingertips and take out her fucking teeth like that's gonna be so much worse because now that's murder in the first degree that's like the real you know i don't get it which i guess is probably for the best but still it's fucked up and some people are toxic together and again it's not the it's not the fault of the victim but some people the combination together 
I know. Is toxic because I've known people to be in relationships that were so toxic and then moved on to another relationship and it's perfectly fine. It, they, they, it's just placid. They get, I'm so sorry, you guys can probably hear my dog crying and I apologize. <laughs> um, so he's outside the door <laughs> and he's just kicking up a big fuss because he wants to be in there, but he can't. Wants to be oh. a podcast star. Oh, Eddie. Eddie, Eddie. Eddie's always trying to get in on this podcast. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, this story, like, I wish they'd just broken up, you know? Like, I I wish that they had just, uh, you know, it's so sad. I mean, it's terrible, but I, I, it's, I, I probably shouldn't. But I, in some ways, I almost feel for the guy because if it, that's like you're, you're broken. Yeah. That you yeah. could do this. And, yep. but of course I feel more for her because that's right. just horrific. Yeah, she was 28, you know, that's just terrible. Well, thanks for bringing the whole room down, Tori. Hey, you know what? You're welcome. <laughs> I'll uh, see you next week doing the exact same thing. Oh, boy. So, well, we are probably going to have to wrap this up because we have been yakada yakada for... Yes. Oh, one more thing. Oh, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I just want to tell you what sources I used because I always forget every single time. So, <laughs> no surprise here, Murderpedia and Wikipedia, uh, as well as an article from People Magazine... Uh, an article from Sun Media and a couple of articles from CBS News. So if you want to find more information about that, we'll put that up on our website, coldesacinsomniac.com. Oh, I forgot to go to Reddit for creepy campground stories today. I always oh, go to Reddit. Maybe you I'm can put up some, some extra ones on the website or something. Yeah, I'm going to read some tonight. Freak myself out. Okay, so we're going to have to go because I have to go give my dog some attention. <laughs> He's going to break my door down. But please follow us on Instagram at Cul-de-Sac Insomniac, on our Facebook page, Cul-de-Sac Insomniac. And if you have any creepy stories you want to tell us or crimes you want us to investigate and talk about on the show, please give us an email. Send us an email at cul-de-sac-insomniac at gmail.com. And we thank you so much for supporting us. And if I can make one more request before we go, if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, please give us a like and give us a five-star review and say something nice about us because it would make us really, really happy and we'll be your best friend. And thank you so much for listening. And we'll be back next week with more creepy stuff. Yes, we will. Bye. Bye, guys. Thank you. Thank you.